this episode of Raising Killen, the podcast to motivate, inspire, and educate parents raising kids with special needs. I'm your host, Marsh Naidu, and tonight I'm joined by Drake Box, the inspiration for the Raising Killen podcast, as well as Jessica Leving. Jessica is author of Special Siblings. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Jessica, walk us through Special Siblings. What is the origin story? Sure. Yeah. So it actually started when I was in high school and my brother Billy has autism and he's six years younger than me. Um, and he was doing therapy services at a local agency near us. And the one of the therapists that he worked with mentioned to my mom that they had a bunch of siblings coming in who were also having some very unique challenges and they really didn't have a lot of resources. And they said, you know, wouldn't it be great if they had a book or something like that, um, that they could share with these kids to show them, you know, to sort of validate their feelings as siblings and show them that they weren't alone. Um, so my mom mentioned this to me because I was, you know, I always loved writing and was doing a bunch of different volunteer projects where I would write and read to kids. So she said, you know, why don't you just make something? What if you make a little children's book to share with the kids? And that was really the original birth of the book. Um, I wrote just a quick draft and then I spoke with some of the people at the agency to get feedback on what types of issues were most common with the kids they were seeing. Um, so I, you know, kind of edited the draft with them and then had a friend do the illustrations. And that was the original draft for several years, just had it bound at Kinko's and, you know, it was a very uh, DIY project. This past year, I just remembered that I had this, you know, I had been thinking about it for a long time and assumed that somebody else must have done this in a bigger, realer way by now. Uh, but when I looked on Amazon, I saw there really are not a lot of resources still for siblings who have a brother or sister with a disability. Um, and so I was able to get the book published for real, you know, did a couple of edits to make it look more modern and bring it up to speed. Um, but really the bulk of the content has remained the same. The illustrations are the same. And, um, yeah, now I also created a podcast to go with it because I found as I was taking the book around that there is really a huge desire for more resources on how to help siblings and not a lot out there. And what is out there is, um, kind of hard to find. So the goal of the podcast is to both be a resource and, you know, create some new information by interviewing psychologists and researchers and, you know, bringing some of that information to the forefront, as well as directing parents to what other programs they can look for and what else they can do to really guide them as they're raising their special siblings. I'm super excited about you launching your podcast because I think that is an awesome medium for um, people to get the information as quick as possible on the go. Uh, it is an awesome resource to educate with. I commend you on that. Well done. Thank you. Now, uh, Jessica, Drake Box is in a similar situation as you. He is, has four sisters. So I'm going to let you guys go back and forth to talk about some of the, uh, some of the feedings that, that arise with having a sibling with special needs. I'm going to hand over to Drake. Uh, how are you doing? Good. How about you? 
Doing pretty good. Um, so uh, I know you basically know nothing about me, but uh, I'm Drake Fox, as she said. Uh, I have cerebral palsy, a moderate case. So, um, and that's really allowed me to become a mouthpiece for the kids that have the same disability that I have, just at a more severe level. So uh, I just try to be that voice for them when they can't, uh, you know, express their feelings or the pain that they go through, or you know, just the daily trials and tribulations that they face that nobody will really understand. So I'm just trying to kind of be that um, voice. Awesome. And then you have four sisters? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I'm also adopted. They purposely brought me into a house with four other women <laughs> to, to survive, uh, which I have so far. So um, apparently my sisters have begged for a brother because my parents had four straight girls and they were just like, you know what? You were just going to make sure that this is the boy this time. So they went to Ukraine. So they brought me home and my sister's was like, oh my God, we have a boy now. So we're going to dress him up as a girl. So that's what they did. When I first got home. <laughs> and now that I look at it, it's kind of ironic because you begged for a brother and you know, I'm basically just, I was a big baby doll for them mm -hmm. until I was old enough to run away. Jessica, you described some of the, um, some of the feelings that siblings go through. Can you elaborate on that please? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny because actually talking about the sisters, you know, using you as a baby doll, that actually, you know, I think part of that is typical in all families. I, I remember doing the same thing myself with my brother. Um, you know, when he was born, I was so excited to be the like, you know, mini mom pushing him in the stroller and I wanted to babysit and be like, you know, mini um, caretaker. Um, but I think one of the things that can be challenging too, is that then as we got older, it was sort of hard to really have that boundary between what's like fun, what's me playing around, like he's my baby doll because that's like entertaining <laughs> versus when is it actually me feeling like it was my responsibility to take care of him, you know, sort of beyond a normal sibling role. And I think a lot of kids can feel that way, especially when, and, you know, and this is one of the things that I have been trying to get a lot of feedback from psychologists that I've been interviewing on because I don't think there's an easy answer because parents can really feed into that. You know, they see you taking care of your sibling and they praise you, you know, and it becomes this, this chain of, oh, wow, you're so good at taking care of your little brother. You're help you're helping your mom so much. What would she do without you? And that feels like exciting to hear. And then you sort of start to thrive on that praise and you want to take care of them more and more, but then it can hit a point where you don't really know when to pull back or you don't have the skills or don't know if it'll be safe or okay to say, you know what, mom, can you take him back, please? I just want to go to my room, you know, um, and to really be able to be a kid instead of be that more like parentified adult. Um, and then certainly I think that can carry on as kids get older and there becomes, um, in a lot of families, it's just, you know, kids don't know what's going to happen to their sibling when they're older, if they can't take care of themselves. And a lot of times it falls on siblings to like literally physically be the caregivers as their parents age. And, you know, I think across the lifespan, those concerns become different because for kids, a lot of it's more emotional. We're dealing with, can, are their feelings validated? Are they able to be kids? Um, you know, are they really getting to have individual independent identities outside of their sibling? And then versus as they get older, are they having support for caretaking roles? Are they knowing how, what services they can access? Are they assuming that they have to live 
with their sibling when maybe there are other options or, you know, um, really the issues change very much by age, but a lot of them are similar too. I'm in a Facebook group called SibNet, which I definitely recommend to all siblings who have a brother or sister with a disability. Um, it's really a lot of siblings talk about having anxiety as they get older because there's a fear of what's going to happen. And a lot of this is dependent also on what kind of disability the sibling has. Um, I think especially with autism, like my brother has a lot of the time, it's a fear of well, what's going to set him off and there's going to be a meltdown in public or um, what's going to be something that suddenly like he's in pain or upset or they have, don't have the right food and it's just like the end of the world. And then you're sort of navigating, worrying about, is he okay? Worrying about what are other people thinking? If this is the middle of the grocery store. You're like maybe embarrassed. Um, it's just a lot going on for kids to process and, um, it can have effects later in life as you maybe become like, you know, need to control the details all the time or are constantly worried about when it's all going to hit the fan. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of a long answer to your question, but many different kinds of issues, I think, across the lifespan. In terms of a parent, I just have Kellen. So I can imagine the challenge that there must be when you have multiple kids. How did your parents approach that, Jessica? What is your interpretation of how they approached you and then how they approached Buddy? What was the difference that you, that you saw? Um, you know, I think in, for starters, they did a great job, you know, with, um, before my brother was even diagnosed, I think just, you know, when my mom was pregnant, there was a lot of setup around, we're so excited that you get to be a big sister. Yay. You know, there was a lot of like really trying to make me excited about that role instead of, you know, I think there was the worry about is the baby going to take all the attention away or whatever. And they wanted me to feel like they were just as excited for, for me to have a new role in the family too. So there was a lot of that that was really positive. Um, but then of course, you know, it can get difficult as things just play out naturally to know when you can say like, you know, you are more than just being a sister. You are also, you know, a person who likes writing and a person who wants to go to dance class or, you know, you can be more than, than just what you are in relation to your brother. Um, and then I think in terms of how they sort of related to both of us, it really was very dependent on our personalities. And, uh, I think, you know, one of the things I've talked about in other interviews too, is this idea that I didn't really realize some of the ways that things were affecting me until I was much older. Like as a kid, it, he, he did get a lot of special privileges. And I think because of having autism, there were a lot of rules that were different that didn't apply to him. Like I would always get in trouble if I left the light on in my room when I wasn't in the room, it was, you know, the whole, like, do you work for the electric company thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, Hey, I just had that conversation this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't go away, like, just with kids. I feel like, you know, between um, people who are married, there's always these different opinions about how the lights should be left. Um, but, you know, I just remember I would always get in trouble for that, and then my brother... My brother's lights were just on constantly and he had a TV in his room and the TV was on constantly because he very like it would calm him a lot to be able to have his different shows on different screens all going at the same time. Um, and oh my gosh, like if they were worried about my light for 20 minutes being on causing an electric bill, like he had the light, the computer, the tablet, the phone, you know, everything. Um, and, and I don't think as a kid, I was really that resentful about it because I understood, of course, you know, I'm older. I understood why he gets different experiences, but I don't think there was, 
you know, as much of an opportunity as there could have been to get to process as a kid. Like, I know this feels unfair. Um, you know, it's okay that it feels unfair. And just, you know, a lot of this is about just validating emotions. It doesn't mean anything's going to change. It doesn't mean that I get to have a TV in my room that's on all the time too, because, you know, that it's not everything in life is fair, but to be able to have the opportunity to talk about it and just feel seen, like to have a parent acknowledge, like, hey, sorry, I know that that might not be super fair for you. And, you know, maybe instead you can go get ice cream or something. Um, I think would have meant a lot, but, but like you said, it's difficult with multiple kids. I can't imagine, you know, <laughs> with five, certainly, um, you know, it's hard. Not everybody gets to be treated completely equally and not everybody gets a full, you know, separate, but equal amount of attention, but you know, certainly as much as parents can strive to do that, it's helpful. You're right. Siblings need to be validated. Their feelings need to be validated and that acknowledgement, what does that kind of acknowledgement do, you think, Jessica? Um, so, you know, I think it just gives a space to feel like it's okay to have unpleasant emotions, which is really a life skill that we need as adults. And, you know, I think everybody's personality is different, but for myself, I, you know, I love my brother. I always like was doting on him. And so I wouldn't have allowed myself to feel resentful at the time. You know, like I, I think I was always just immediately going to, Oh, well that's okay. That makes sense because he has autism or, you know, of course my parents aren't going to come to my class event tonight because my brother has therapy. Like I just wouldn't even allow myself to be mad about it or acknowledge, or I didn't even know that maybe I was feeling like, Oh, that's unfair and jealous or whatever, because um, it just became really natural to just shove those feelings down and, didn't come out until, you know, 10 years later in therapy, looking back and realizing like, hmm, I don't think I know how to be mad. And it discovered that even in my personal relationships as an adult, like I had become, you know, this like really cheerful, optimistic person all the time. And then would sort of be quietly, passively aggressive if I wasn't happy about something, like, because I never learned how to say, or even to acknowledge within myself, you know, that really stunk. Like that situation made me angry. I'm upset. I need to go take a minute to decompress in my room and then get over it and then move on. You know, I didn't, I didn't learn how to do that. I didn't learn how to say to my parents, you know, Hey, I get why my brother gets special privileges. I'm not jealous. I'm just saying that's unfair. You know, that just like, Hey guys, you know, um, I didn't feel comfortable doing that or even really realize that maybe it would have made me feel better. And I think when kids are given those opportunities to stop and pause and reflect and look at what their feelings are, it just sets them up to be healthier adults that are able to experience a full range of emotions in a healthy way. I think it really depends on the type of perspective that either, you know, me being, you know, the kid with a disability, even though it's not that, you know, severe or whatnot, I might still have it, still have to acknowledge it, still have to live with it. Uh, but I, it all depends for me. It depends on the perspective that you have at a very young age. Um, so like by your parents telling you, okay, you know, setting you up for that role of a big sister rather than telling you, all right, well, we're not going to be able to pay much attention to you because, you know, there's another kid coming, you know. So, but by them setting you up, by getting you ready for a more, have, making you feel like you had a more valuable role, that gave you that perspective, okay, you know, he's important to me. I got to make sure he's fine. I got to make sure he's, you know, good. Everything about him is good. You know, he's happy, he's comfortable. And then I worry about me. So I feel like 
me and you kind of share that perspective, but in my sense of the thing is like, I don't want people to worry about me because I try not to um, let my cerebral palsy affect my day-to-day life um, in as many, in as little ways as possible. I didn't want them to treat me any different, look at me any different and, you know, go easy on me just because I have this doesn't mean I can't be, I can't help around the house. I can't clean or, you know, so, but I feel like, perspective plays a big role in it because um you know as long as you have a positive uh, perspective on life you know positive outcomes are sure to follow it's just you got to have that good mindset that good perspective and you always have to look for the positive even in the most negative situations so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and I that just reminded me of a few things too like I I just the other day was on the phone doing another you know an interview for my upcoming podcast and um, we were talking about how, you know, we're just at the forefront, like there's so little research being done on siblings. And then it also like there's almost no research being done on how the person with a disability feels about their sibling, <laughs> you know, they're like, you know, typical developing sibling. And like, for instance, this example of, you know, the, the sibling growing, like the person without the disability growing up and thinking, oh, I'm going to have to live with my sibling when we're older. Well, your brother or sister might not want to live with you. <laughs> you know, the person with the disability might have absolutely no intention of being your roommate just, and like, who are you to have just assumed, oh, they're going to need me to take care of them when they could have a lot of different ideas in mind. Um, And then that, I think the other piece there is this idea of, you know, by setting up, like, I think a lot of times our society, especially lately, can err on the side of being um, like overly positive in a way that is really, really well intended. Um, But if it leads to this idea that, you know, oh, I need to always be taking care of my brother with a disability or, oh, you know, we always need to be extra, extra nice and go easy on people with disabilities. That doesn't really allow you to be seen as a full person. And that's not fair either. And I don't think that's healthy for sibling relationships. And one of the things I talk about all the time is that like, me and my brother argue and we, because, and, you know, I know him and I know when he's being a punk in like the same way. He knows when I'm being obnoxious too. And it wouldn't be a healthy relationship if I just all the time, you know, like let him have everything he wants because so oh, for him, he has autism. I'm like, no, we're siblings and we know how to push each other's buttons. And that's just part of normal sibling life. You hear a lot now about parents making time for, um, for the siblings that are typically developing? Was that a situation in your case? Did you have Jessica time where it was just maybe you and your mom and, or you and your dad together? Yeah, you know, I think my parents did try to do that as much as possible. Um, but certainly I, I think there's more of a talked about focus on that now, which is really, really welcome because I think that's huge, this idea of making sure that there is dedicated time for each sibling to have one-on-one parent time um, and to know that it's not going to be interrupted. Like I think, I think my mom, my mom in particular did frequently try and make space for just the two of us to have like girls night or go do something fun. Um, But there were occasional times when that would get interrupted because my brother would need something or there would be, you know, a call from the house or we'd be home and he'd be in the other room and suddenly have a need. Um, and some of that you just can't get around, like it can't be avoided because as parents, we need to, you know, there's a need to triage and, you know, take care of whoever needs you the most. But I do think if whenever possible, like if there's a second parent that can be on, you know, taking care of one kid while the other parent is with the other for uninterrupted time, or if you have a 
respite worker that can come. Um, someone actually just suggested that one way to do it is to pull kids out of school <laughs> that you could, um, you know, pick your neurotypical kid up early from school and take them out to lunch or something. So, because you'll know that the other kids are in school and you're hopefully not going to get interrupted then. Um, so, you know, whatever you can do to make sure that that time really is dedicated, you know, Jessica timer, you know, who <laughs> March time, whoever the case may be, um, I think is really important. Um, you know, having four other siblings plus yourself and only two parents, it's kind of tough to, um, you know, make that time for that parent. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't have the privilege of always being able to just go and be with my mom or my dad, you know, just by myself, you know, do whatever we want to do, uh, because you got four other girls that they need, you know, they need love and affection and attention and makeup and all that good stuff. So, um, <laughs> um, you know, but my dad did a good, uh, my dad, well, first of all, I'm a mama's boy at heart. Let's just get that out of the way. But, uh, my dad did a really good job of, you know, he'd wake me up early in the morning and we'd go and like, you know, go to like auctions or like antique picking or whatnot. And we just do that. But that would just be our thing. Like that's what we would do. The girls would never want to come. So we wouldn't have to worry about it being interrupted. Um, my mom would never come cause you know, it's early in the morning. She liked to sleep. So, um, but I feel like it's very important for, a, you know, a kid in general to have that one-on-one -on -one connection and be able to make memories with their parents, not always have another kid, you know, or another sibling right next to them, you know, being that I'm able to recall all those memories and have that one-on-one -on -one connection with my dad and say that we did this one thing. It was just us. You know, I feel like it's important for that development to be able to socialize with somebody and not depend on other people being there that you can bounce off of. So it also, I mean, not only did it help with, you know, the whole affection and love thing, it, it's a life skill that we were able to learn to be able to socialize with people that were older than us one-on-one uh, -on -one and not feel awkward or uncomfortable if we didn't have somebody there to bounce off of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's really like true in all families. I, like I have a friend who is one of, I think seven. And, um, you know, I don't think any of them have any very significant disabilities that I know of, but I know that even for them, they had like their mom would set up like once a month that each one of them could get like a mom date, you know, and make sure, cause I think all of us want time with our parents one-on-one -on -one and to be able to, you're right, like interact in a different way. Cause you act very differently around your siblings or your peers than you do when you're just one-on-one -on -one talking to someone. So I'm interested about Billy. Where is Billy at? <laughs> so he lives with my mom still, um, about 45 minutes from me. So I get to see them all the time, which is awesome. And he has a job. He works actually um, at Northwestern. So we're in Chicago, so it's not too far from us. And um, he works in their alumni department um, doing kind of different administrative tasks and, you know, um, making sure that all of the, like, papers are filed correctly and the coffee materials are stocked and he loves it. He's been there for several years. Um, and it's been really, really nice to see actually just recently, um, for, oh, I'm probably going to mess this up cause I don't watch game of Thrones, but he's a huge game of Thrones fan. And his birthday was right before one of the season premieres or something. Um, and they decorated a throne, like in the style of the movie, a huge throne for him and surprised him with a gift card because he didn't have HBO. He was always watching everything afterwards when it came out. 
Um, and they gave him, they all chipped in to give him a gift card so that he could watch the series live when it premiered. Um, and they posted this on Facebook and I just started crying seeing it. Like it's just been, it's been so nice to see him get embraced by a community like that. So yeah, luckily he is doing really well. Listen, we've actually reached the time where we normally wean our podcast off. <laughs> We're trying to keep it around 20 minutes or so, but before we go, please let us know where our listeners can purchase your book from and also give us the latest on uh, your uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is supportingspecialsiblings.com and you can find all of the information on there. Um, the book is available on Amazon. It's called Special Siblings, Growing Up with a Sibling Who Has Special Needs. Um, and then the podcast is called The Special Siblings Podcast. We, um, it's going to be premiering with the first episode on January 18th, so coming right up. Um, and they, we actually just posted a trailer, which is now live, and you can listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. So yeah, but again, supporting specialsiblings.com is the place to go. If you can't remember all of those different things. It's all there. Well done. And thank you for putting the resource together. This is going to be highly valuable. Drake, any last words from you, sir? Oh, you know, it was just really nice meeting you and it's nice to have a different perspective and an intellectual conversation with someone. So appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. And it was so nice to meet you, Drake. And Marsh, nice to talk to you again. I know it was a while ago that we spoke. So yeah, I'm so glad you guys had me on. This was fun. Well, guys, this brings us to the end of the podcast. And remember, as always, get to the top of that mountain. This is Marsh Naidu signing off. Mm -hmm.